Welcome to Behind the Line, where we pull back the curtain on the challenges facing first responders and frontline workers. The work you do is unique, and so are the stresses that go with it. Join me as we tackle key issues to reduce risks for burnout, and as we work to support you in doing the job you love without sacrificing being the kind of person you want to be. Hey there, and welcome back to Behind the Line. I'm your host, Lindsay Foss. If you're new to the show, I'm a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy. And after years of working alongside first responders and frontline workers, I've become a passionate wellness advocate and educator to those serving our communities on the front lines. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real life behind the scenes challenges facing you on the front lines. I created this podcast with the hope of bringing easy access to skills for wellness allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off. Today, we're diving into a topic that is most likely the most relevant at this point in time. We're talking about how to make sense of COVID-19, how we hold all that has happened this past year, all that you've seen, all that you've feared, all that you are exhausted of dealing with, and all of the ongoingness of this pandemic. I had been mulling for a while how to tackle this topic, knowing that it's not something we can skip over or just allow to be in the background of other topics we've been discussing, like resilience and self-care. It's too big, it's too significant, and it's too unprecedented, though I am so very sick of hearing that word. Thankfully, a good friend and colleague reached out to me and shared something that shaped the direction for this series that we're starting. She shared that someone in her life who's on the front lines had expressed uncertainty about how at the end of all of this, we will be able to process what happened here and fear about what will happen if we fail to process it. Because the reality is, while it's been a year, for those on the front lines, there has been no time. You were swept up into the current of this pandemic in ways that are exponentially more challenging than for the average human. We called on you to show up despite your own fears and risks, and we've needed you so desperately. You answered the call, and you adapted on a daily, and there was never a moment to think twice. Between the overwhelming need and the demands to adapt to new protocols and update procedures on a near daily basis, there's been no time to sit back and really make sense of it all. You've been in the thick of doing, and when the doing is done, what will be left? My friend and colleague shared a worry that when the doing is done, what might be left is a shell. And I actually agree. My worry is that if we don't have a way to process all that's happened, that we will have a significant number of incredible people struggle to continue on in the work. Not because you aren't skilled and capable, but because we've asked too much of you for too long and failed to offer you a way to hold it. Now, let's take a moment to talk about what it means to process something. I remember when I started grad school, the word I hated most in the world was the word process. It was thrown around a lot, as I'm sure you can imagine, in a counseling degree. I hated the word because it seemed so nonspecific. And if you're coming to know me a bit over the course of this podcast, you'll know that I'm all about the practical. 
I like things to be clear and systematized and have delineation about what comes next. But in therapy, the word process does not mean the same kind of thing as when we talk about the process for making shoes or building a house or other types of tangible processes. In these kinds of industries or applications, the word process just means the steps from one to two to three to whatever the end result is. It is a process. The word is more of an adjective describing and summarizing the series of events involved in the making or creating of something. But in therapy, the word is more like a verb to process, like to fly, except with way more ambiguity. Like, I can break down the actions of something like flying into describable parts. But I had a lot of difficulty getting clear on how to process in a way that would be similar to understanding how something flies. When people say that you need to process your trauma or process your childhood or other things that sound really smart and therapist-y, I would sit there and be screaming in my head, Yeah, but how? What does that even mean? It honestly took me years to really figure out what this word meant. I say all of this because if I, a student who performed well academically and in practice, in a degree completely about this subject, could not get a clear understanding of what this means, then I think certainly the general population would struggle with it as well. And I know this is true because I've had so many clients come into my office and at the first mention of the word process, share their confusion about what this means and how to do it. Like, we all know this is somehow the right answer, but we have no idea what it means to actually do the damn thing. So let me try to break down for you what I believe it means to process something. We often talk about processing events and experiences sometimes recent, sometimes further back in our memories. When we experience an event or series of events, this leaves an imprint or impact on our system, which is made up of multiple levels, including our emotions, our cognition, our physiology, and our psyche. In a perfect world, these levels work together and collectively assess the nature of an experience in an effort to make sense of it. When these levels work together and are able to make sense of the experience together, that experience stands a better chance of being integrated into our story, which is essentially what processing is all about. I'll circle back to that in a minute and tell you more about what integration means. I really want to break this down in a way that makes sense and feels useful to you. So let me take a minute to talk just a bit more about each of these levels I mentioned a minute ago, as they relate to this idea of processing events and experiences. And this might feel a smidge convoluted, so I'm also going to put a link in the show notes where you can download an info sheet that breaks this down if you would find that helpful to reference. Okay, again, the levels are emotions, cognitions, physiology, and psyche. Our emotions are a key aspect of how we interpret information and experience something in relationship to ourselves. It's hard to really own that an experience happened to me if I don't feel connected to it. We have a few hiccups that tend to happen with emotions when it comes to processing. 
The first is that Western culture has generally devalued using emotions as useful information and tends to instead see emotions as a thing that gets in the way of carrying on and being productive. Let me be very extraordinarily clear in saying that this is BS and actually totally counterproductive. It's likely a rant for another day, but the take home message is that avoiding emotions or failing to get acquainted with how to make use of your emotions is a surefire way to end up in burnout and likely a lot of other challenges. Because our culture devalues emotions, this leads to a second hiccup, which is that we will tend to develop strategies for ignoring, avoiding, or disconnecting from our uncomfortable emotions, rather than listen to them and make use of them to integrate experiences. This can actually lead to more complex problems, like responses connected to PTSD and dissociative disorders. We really need to understand that our emotions are not a tripwire. They're actually intended to help us assess and avoid real-life tripwires. But we have to learn how to listen to them and make use of what they're trying to offer us as information. I often suggest that people consider their emotions to be a sixth sense. Just like my taste buds tell me when something tastes moldy and react to spit it out to keep me safe from getting sick, Our emotions are just letting us know how we feel about what's going on around us so we can judge what we want to do next in response. Ignoring our emotions is a bit like swallowing the moldy food over and over again and then feeling annoyed that we keep getting sick or in the case of emotions that we keep getting hurt, rejected, bulldozed or a bunch of other outcomes that show up when we ignore what they're trying to tell us. Our cognition involves our thoughts and our sense of knowing of ourselves and the world. Our thoughts are not directly tied to reality, but are skewed through the lens of how we've been shaped. How we think, what we think about, and our internal dialogue with ourselves can be shaped from experiences and likewise shape how we interpret events. For example, if I'm told and experienced that the world is not a safe place, I will develop a skew that is informed by this, and I'll think about many things in a way that's informed by it. It will also mean that when perfectly safe-ish experiences happen, I am likely going to respond to them in ways that are still on high alert, and I may have difficulty coming down or experiencing things as safe when they are. Our cognition factors into how we process experiences, both in terms of being shaped by past experiences, as well as in influencing our interpretation of present ones. One of the challenges with processing experiences is we can forget the skew. We can forget that our thoughts are not based purely on fact, and we can come to believe that our interpretations are totally real and true without accounting for how our skew might be shaping things. When this happens, we can be at risk for over, under, or misassessing situations and our relationship to those situations. Our physiology is this amazing thing, a series of systems that interact to assess and respond at a moment's notice to all kinds of situations. It's pretty incredible, really. Likely this level is going to feel more familiar to you. And at its core, what we need to understand 
is that our physiology is meant to be an alert system for us, as well as a self-regulated system that's always trying to get back to balance or homeostasis for those of you who like the lingo. When a challenging experience happens, our bodies let us know that something's up by going through a number of changes. This might include increased heart rate, shallower breathing, pupil dilation, muscle tension, and so on. Our stress response system will tend to kick in to help us determine whether we need to fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. Language we'll talk about more another time. What we need to know is that our stress system is intended for threat assessment and response, and it wasn't intended for us to stay in for long periods of time. When we do, our bodies struggle to get back to that balance place and actually start to gradually move the marker for where balance lands. This is essentially our body's way of developing tolerance for the physiological aspects of stress but it really messes with our system and takes a toll. As we've talked about in past episodes, when we spend too much time in perpetual stress, our brains will start to overwork certain regions of the brain at the detriment to others. And this will make it increasingly difficult to think well and clearly and can compromise both our emotional and cognitive systems over time. Are you starting to hear how these pieces lean on each other and either work together or work to the detriment of one another? Now, last on the list is psyche. I don't often use the word psyche, but for our purposes when I use this word, what I mean is the part of us that interprets information and makes sense of it. This is a bit different than cognition, which is the thoughts piece and is actually a bit of a higher order aspect of you that takes your thoughts, feelings, and physiological responses and pulls them all together to tell a story. Your psyche is a meaning-making machine. It takes what's given from the other systems and it pulls it all together in an effort to figure out what things mean and to inform our decisions and actions. It's also the perceptions we have, which again is going to include a skew based on our experiences over time. When we have a particularly challenging experience or face persistent stress that inundates our system, different levels will tend to over or under interpret events. For example, I might understand what's happening from a cognitive level and notice physiological responses like more muscle tension or a higher resting heart rate, but not feel particularly connected to the emotional aspects of the experience, which will make it hard for my psyche to have a full picture to make sense of the events. Alternatively, I might be highly aware of feeling overwhelmed and anxious, but feel disconnected from my body's physical responses and unaware of my internal thoughts around my fears or a negative internal dialogue reminding me that I'm a failure or worthless or a host of other crappy interpretations of myself. When one or more of these levels are not being utilized, we lose important pieces that act as checks and balances for one another. In the example I just gave, where I recognize feeling overwhelmed and anxious, but my awareness of my cognition and physiological responses is tuned out, 
I'm left trying to interpret what it means about me that I feel overwhelmed and anxious. It will seem like there's no reason and will likely be interpreted through a lens that says there must be something wrong with me or not enough about me that I'm struggling so much emotionally. But when we add in awareness of cognition and physiology, we get a more detailed picture. Perhaps my thoughts are racing around the demands at work and the awareness that I'm always falling behind and feel like I can never get caught up. And maybe my body is letting me know through jaw tension and clenched teeth, maybe some stomach cramps or perhaps nightmares that I'm carrying a lot of weight related to what is happening around me. Now, instead of it just being a me issue that I'm overwhelmed and anxious, it has a bit more context. This isn't the end of the story, though. Now our psyche comes into play to take these factors and fill out a narrative about what this means about me and for me. And as I mentioned, this will be skewed given past experiences and beliefs I hold as a result about myself and the world. One version could be that these factors all act as reassurance of something I've believed for a long time. I can't hack it. It's me. I fall apart when things get stressful and I need to work harder, put my nose to the grindstone to figure out how to do more, be more, achieve more. Another version of the story our psyche could tell might sound more like awareness of the pressures you're facing and recognition that no one is designed to be able to face this degree of demand combined with lack of support and affirmation that what you pour yourself into matters. Our psyche could tell the story of how we're involved in a bigger story that's not about my failures, but about a broken system that I'm caught in. Do you hear the difference? If you take a moment, try to reflect. What kinds of stories does your psyche generally tend to tell? We've talked before about the fact that humans generally tend to have a natural negativity bias, which is valuable for our survival, but not particularly helpful for our general mental health and wellness, particularly when we're inundated with demands and stress. What this means is that our psyche will often choose to tell a story that is skewed from a bias that says that this is something wrong with me, and we need to be very careful and intentional to keep this in check and evaluate it against the evidence provided by reality. At its core, processing experiences is about integrating. I said this earlier and that we would circle back, so here we are. Integration really just means that we hold a story as our own. We feel like it happened to us. Our thoughts reflect that it happened to us. Our bodies feel connected to what happened to us. And our psyche can tell a story that makes meaning of these pieces in a way that allows our brain to hold the experience as a memory of a thing that happened without holding it too tight or trying to pretend that it's not ours. This is where the risk lives as we make sense of what COVID-19 has meant for those on the front lines. The intensity of it, the risk of it, the fear involved in it, it has activated your stress system on repeat and has kept it activated more often and for longer durations than you are wired to sustain. Your body has felt the weight of it. 
It's likely wanted to run away or punch a wall at different moments in time. But despite that, you've called it back into doing the job day after day after day. Your thoughts are likely a mixture of protocols and processes mixed with internal dialogue about how people are making choices that put you more at risk, while also reminding you that you signed up for helping and here we are. Your emotions are likely complex, a mixture of fear and anxiety, grief and loss, shock and disgust, frustration and annoyance, gratitude and compassion. It's a lot. And given how humans are wired, there is an invitation to either pretend that none of it exists. This is the carry on carrying on mentality where we shut down the thoughts and feelings and physiological responses and try to just keep pushing through, hoping that it will magically feel different eventually. Or we can also have the invitation that we can perseverate on it. We can get caught up in the complexity of it and circle around and around and around again, trying to make sense of it, but not feeling like we make any traction. To process and integrate, we need to see what's happening for what it is. We need to allow our bodies, our minds, and our emotions to all tell their side of the story about how what has happened has had an impact for us. We need to hear ourselves and acknowledge that the impact is real and meaningful. We need to hold space for it, make space for it. And then we need to support our psyche in combining these factors to tell a story that we can live with as being a part of our story. I'm going to give you an example, and it's not COVID related, but I promise it will connect back. When I had my first child, my son, it was a fairly traumatic birth experience with several complications and pieces that afterward I found really hard to reconcile. For days afterward, I found myself spinning over and over and over in my mind the events that took place and relived my feelings of failure, inadequacy, and fear. Based on the thoughts feelings, and physiological responses I had, the only story my brain could think to tell was that I just wasn't tough enough. I was the problem. I must not have had a strong enough pain threshold. I must not be like those other women who can do it better. I must not be good enough at this thing I was supposedly built to do, but when the going got tough, I felt defeated." Thankfully, I had an incredible doula who is also a counselor and a friend who came for a follow-up visit about a week after my son's birth to check in on us. And when she asked how I was doing, I fell apart. I spilled what I had been wrestling with, this internal narrative that I just couldn't shake, but that also felt hard to integrate as part of my story because I didn't want to believe these things. And I feared that if I left it this way, I would never choose to have another child. I remember the look on her face when she heard my interpretation of events. And when I finished, she said, Lindsay, I have attended dozens of births. How yours went is not how it's supposed to go. That was one of the toughest labors I have ever participated in. And when I left, I was in awe of you. You were a warrior, 
and I've said exactly that to everyone who's asked me about how things went for you. Game changer. All of a sudden, the experience I had 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 a different context. More information helped me to anchor out of this story of my own personal failings and into one where I could claim that I did a really hard thing and conquered it. Suddenly, this story, which was still awful to remember, made sense in a way that I felt I could hold. It was a story that made sense to me and felt true and right and far more accurate than the one that I had created. As you are working at processing and making sense of the many events connected to this pandemic, I want to encourage you to do the work that pulls the pieces together that are from inside of you, your thoughts, your feelings, your physiological responses. I want you to bring awareness to each of these areas and the depth of impact that they've had for you. I want you to pay attention and notice the ongoing impacts and the possibility that the reach of impact will be longer than you might like. And I want you to allow information in from the outside that helps to check your internal narrative against what is true and real. Here are a few truths that I know for you and about you in this pandemic. Number one, no one is unscathed. Not a single person is without impact. This is not a you issue, it's a humanity issue. The impact you feel is fair and not about your personal flaws or weaknesses. I have been saying to clients and clinicians that I supervise that it's important to know that everyone is doing worse right now. I know it seems silly, but somehow it's reassuring to know that we're not the only ones floundering. Genuinely, we're all doing worse. Number two, small wins. This pandemic is characterized by massive loss and fear and uncertainty for the future. Anxiety is natural in times of uncertainty. And when this is the prevalent feeling, we need to focus on what we can control and anchor into the small wins along the way. Number three, mental exhaustion is real. There's a concept in psychology of mental load. What it means is that while physical exertion can be tiring, the weight of having a ton on your mind, both conscious and unconscious, carries a load that impacts our energy in significant ways. The mental load is exponentially higher right now, to some extent for everyone, but especially for those on the front lines. It's unavoidable. And it's a contributor to the first truth I gave, which is that no one is unscathed. Fourth truth that I know about you and for you in this pandemic is that you are a warrior. You are here and you are listening and you are wanting to invest in yourself even as you feel the weight of it all. You are doing what you can, helping where you can, and trying to come out the other side of this thing with parts of yourself still intact. I am crazy proud of you, which may sound dumb because we've never really met, but honestly, I am in awe of you. You are trying your best to balance the competing demands and the treadmill that's running faster than you can. You need to know that falling isn't your fault. You're set up to fall in this scenario. You are a warrior for trying the best you can, for showing up 
in the ways that you can and for working to develop skills to patch yourself up in an effort to keep going in the ways that you can. As we wrap up today, I hope that you've gained some perspective around what it means to process. Next week, we're going to continue talking about how we make sense of this whole pandemic craziness. I know it can be a lot to take in. You may find it helpful to review the show notes and access the bonus summary materials that I'll link to in the show notes. You may also find it helpful to listen to this episode a couple of times to help solidify some of the concepts. If you're wanting to invest more deeply into your wellness, I would also really encourage you to consider taking the Beating the Breaking Point training that I offer. It's an online seven-part series that I created intentionally to fill the gaps in your training. The feedback I've had from many on the front lines is that you're trained in how to manage mental health for others, but not really trained in how to sustain it for yourselves. This pandemic has shone a bright light on this deficit in your training, and I find it totally insane that the course was created literally just before the pandemic broke out. Crazy timing, right? We're actually offering the course at a reduced cost until March 11th, so you have a couple of days to benefit from the coupon code. The course is also often covered by employers as work-related training or can be used by some as a tax deduction for work-related training. Beating the Breaking Point is intended to walk you through a step-by-step system to help you understand how your brain works within a workplace setting that demands a lot and doesn't tend to give a lot back. It offers tools to support better skills for wellness and sustainability and can help to prevent burnout or reduce burnout for those of you already headed down that rabbit hole. I hope you'll check it out. I'll include a link to the course page and the coupon code in the show notes. You are a warrior and I'm honored you are here on this journey with me and I'm really proud to know you even as you're just someone out there. As always, I would love to hear from you. You can reach out on social media or email me at support at thrive-life.ca. You're also welcome to follow me on social media. I'm on Facebook and Instagram, um, and there you can find a lot of extra resources. I often post silly cartoons that just let us have a little bit of a laugh. I want us to be able to connect and be able to support each other in the midst of all of the things that are happening for us right now. Until next time, stay safe.